That was like weak, man. I'm like, I'm embarrassed for you guys. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I'm worried about preaching myself to sleep. But now I've really got, I'm, I'm really worried, man. Let's, let's try that again. Good morning, Calvary Chapel. How are you? <laughs> we had one eager beaver. Okay, so this, the third time's a charm, right? Maybe I should, maybe I should be a sergeant. Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Good morning. Praise God. Hallelujah, we're awake. It is always a privilege for me to come and be a part of what God's doing here. God's doing such a great thing here. And you have a great pastor who loves God and loves his word and loves to teach the word. And man, that's a that's a powerful combination in the hands of God and then of people eager to learn and uh, to just uh, be used by God. Well, as you can see, uh, <laughs> the the message today, we're going to take a break. Obviously, I'm not going to teach where Tom was. Pastor Tom left off. Uh, but let's take a, a break and turn in our Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. We'll look at these first 15 uh, verses this morning. And I, I want to just, uh, you know, I, I said something earlier and I want to just go ahead and let you guys know, too. I feel like I, I need to repent, even though you don't know my sin. I want to confess it to you. Uh, yesterday I came up. With uh, a little later than the youth group, they kind of met with Calvary uh, Springfield's youth group and they went to this arcade 1984. And uh, I had never been there. I'd heard great things of it. This is my era. I'm thinking I'm going to come. I'm going to rule. I'm going to get my name at the top of the leaderboard of every game and rub it in these kids proverbial faces, you know, and uh so we we come up here and then we finally get there like an hour after they did or an hour and a half after they did. And I'm thinking, cool, that'll take all their excuses away. You know, they've got a chance to play them. And uh, then the, the one of the leaders is like, yeah, we're going to leave here in about 20 minutes. I was like, uh, so I didn't even play a game. I mean, it's like I mean, like I was like the, like the kid in the candy store. You take him to the candy store and you go, you can look all around, but you can't have anything, man. And I was just like, what this is what is up with this? So, I mean, I'm, I mean, I had a bad attitude. I'm just going to say it. I really wanted to show off and think more highly of myself than I ought, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, but let's let's go ahead and, and, and bow our hearts. Father, we're just grateful for an opportunity to be here and to get into your word. We're asking that you would wash over us with the waters of your word. And, and we're just thankful, Lord, that you are faithful. We're thankful, God, that uh, though we fail, you never will. And uh, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. So we want to lift up every need that's here today. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace, your loving kindness, your compassion toward us. And we pray that you would touch and move and minister to hearts, Lord, by the power of your spirit in a way that only you can, uh, Father. And so we just give you this time. We ask that you would edify us, Lord, and that you would glorify yourself. And we'll give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. Well, to set the scene, <clears throat> the curtain closes on chapter nine, considering both the compassion and the cry of Jesus as he went about all the cities and the villages there he was and he was teaching in their synagogues he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he was healing every sickness and every disease among the people but as you look back you read that as he looked upon the multitudes that he was well the words were moved with compassion for them because they were Weary, the Bible says, and scattered. They were like sheep having no shepherd. You know, it's as if he looked upon the thousands that were constantly gathering around him. They were hoping to maybe hear from him or, or maybe be 
touched in some way uh, by Him. And for every person who was in need to maybe be healed or, or, or whatever the case may be, for everyone who was near Him, there were countless others who wouldn't be touched by Him because He just simply couldn't be everywhere uh, at all times, you know, at the same, or ministering to everyone at the same time. And it's not that the job was too big for him, you know, in the sense that he's God. I mean, nothing's impossible for God. He could do it. But in that sense in which he condescended and he chose to become a man and he physically limited himself to being only in one place at one time. And so, I mean, there he is. He's he's laboring intensively. He's looking upon the people compassionately, but he's limited to time and space physically. And so he said to his disciples, well, let's look at it together. Look at verse 37 of chapter nine. It says, Jesus said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest Family, I want you to see the progression here. The, the desire to minister effectively and efficiently, it originated in the heart of Jesus. And then he imparted and entrusted that sense of burden to the heart of the disciples. He made known to them the need, and then he got them praying that God would meet that need. So listen, the work of reaching people... Uh, ministering to people, seeing people made right in the sight of God, that always originates in the heart of God. I mean, isn't that what our Bible tells us? For God so loved the world. It wasn't that the world so loved God that He sent His only begotten Son, but it was that God so loved the world. God always initiates, man always responds. And so Jesus took the initiative here, he made known the need uh, for laborers. He got his disciples praying. And this, I've discovered, is so often how it happens with us. God will make known to you or to me. He'll make known to us a need. And maybe we'll see a lack somewhere. We'll realize an area maybe in the church that's lacking. It's not being met. God has allowed us to see it. Now, what happens next is critical. In fact, pivotal. Because what are we to do with it? I don't know, Pastor Tom, about you, but as for me, I've discovered a lot of people, what they will do when they see a need, when they sense a need, is they'll run up to the pastor and they'll tell him all about it. You know, and how, how, how many more people could be reached or, or wouldn't leave the church but would stay in the church if they only offered fill in the blank. You know, if they only had a, a, a more aggressive new believer ministry or uh, other outreach opportunities or whatever the case may be. And that's how they would handle it. However, the more appropriate course of action would be that first you begin to pray over it. Ask God to raise up the person or the people to tend adequately to the need. That's the model that our master gave us right here. He said, in essence, I'm revealing to you a need. Now begin to pray that God would meet that need. Guys, it's never been that the fields weren't ripe for harvest. It's always been that there's been an insufficient amount of laborers for the amount of work that needs done. 
Listen, write it down. I'll quote it for you. Did you get him, Jacob? Is it going to come up for us? Praise God, man. I didn't get my scripture references for I was too late getting them to him, but he's going to have them here. But, you know, Isaiah chapter six and verse eight has always been the kind of the common cry, the clarion cry of the heart of God. Because there was Isaiah and he was given insight into the very throne room of God. Maybe you can see that scene in your mind's eye where there he is and we the, the chapter begins in the year that King Uzziah dies. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And you remember he starts talking about that radical scene of the seraphim and how they were flying about the throne and, and having six wings, he said, and with two they covered their eyes and with two they covered their feet and with two they flew and there they were and they cried, Holy, 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 Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I don't know if there's a correlation, but that's pretty cool to think about. But Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And Isaiah is writing for us the scene that he sees, that he's given insight into the heavenly scene. And he writes what he sees, but not only what he sees, but what he hears. And what he hears is, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He was looking for the man. He was wanting that individual, that willing individual who would be willing to rise up and meet the need to take his word to the people who would respond, here am I, send me. And I wonder if perhaps that might be you here today. You're seeing a need. You're sensing a need. God has shown something to you. You're wondering who's going to be able to meet it. And my challenge to you is perhaps God has revealed it to you because he's wanting to use you in that capacity. You see, God is always looking for the man. He's always looking for the woman who's willing to labor, who will make a wall and stand in the gap interceding for the people, meeting needs for the people. Ezekiel chapter 22. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. God's not willing that any should perish, is he? He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us to come to repentance, but he needs someone to take the message to the people. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the the word of God. But what's the tragic reality? He says, I found no one. Therefore, as a result of that, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Wow. Listen, the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So let's take and turn our attention. Matthew chapter 10. Beginning in verse one. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, uh, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, or, uh, and then Lebius, whose surname is Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And we'll stop right there. There's a number of things that we want to notice here, not the least of which is this this ragtag group of guys that he's assembled to himself that I personally find encouragement in and I trust you do as well. But first, we want to note that they were back in verse one. You may be seen it there, but perhaps you've never highlighted or stopped to think about it. But in verse one, they were called disciples before they were called apostles in verse two. That is First, they followed Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They were trained by Jesus prior to being teachers and preachers and leaders for Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, Pastor Todd? I've discovered, you know, it's interesting how many people are willing to be the preachers, the teachers, the leaders, but they kind of want to pass over that period of being a follower or a learner. But that's not the way the Lord works. Listen, if you don't do well being under authority, Jesus will never place you in a position of wielding authority. We have to be teachable. Family, we have to be moldable. If I was to just say it very bluntly, I'd say, look, we have to be able to humble ourselves and simply do as we're told. To recognize godly authority in our lives. Now listen, Jesus has a definite plan for you. How many of you believe, show of hands, I mean really believe that Jesus has a plan for your life? That there is a re- good, that there is a reason for which he's laid hold of you. Isn't that what the Bible says? As a matter of fact, Paul, I, here's the challenge. Have you laid hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of you? You see, that's what, that's what Paul said. He said, look, we're to lay hold of that. For which, in other words, the, you know, the, the, the story didn't come to an end when Christ grabbed hold of your heart. That's where it begins. Yes. Amen. OK. Now, you guys know that for the most part, when I'm sharing, it is a monologue. But if I ask a question, you can respond. We can dialogue at that point. So if I say yes, you can say or maybe you just go, you know, not, I don't agree. You know, but if that's the case, just talk to me afterward. Uh, but uh, but anyway, the point is, is that. He has a plan for our lives, but there's always a time of training. Jesus spent time with these guys, training these guys before entrusting these guys with leadership. Now, they definitely weren't perfect by any stretch, were they? You know, and, 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 you know, we'll see that. But he spent time teaching, training them before he invested his authority into them. But now, you know, they've been with him for a while. He sees the need is great. He gets them praying and then he puts them to work. In essence, what he's doing here is he's multiplying his ministry. Now, listen to me. If we're to be effective in what God has called us to do, we always need to be looking to multiply in ministry. Paul told Timothy, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be then able to teach others also. So Paul was passing on the torch to Timothy, who himself was to pass it on to others. It's the divine mandate of which Jesus himself models. 
If we don't do this, how many of you realize if we're not obedient to the word of God, that the plan of God for redemption is like one generation away from extinction? Now, we're to be obedient to the call of God to get the gospel out to the hurt and dying world. He has placed. Now, I'm not saying entirely God hasn't left it all up to you and me, for which we say, thank God. But he has placed a large part of humanity's faith in our willingness to obey his call and commission upon our lives. Now, that's a heavy responsibility and one that I fear we don't often take seriously. But there's a couple of things here in verse one that I want to lift out for you. We spoke of the call of Jesus. I I think it's important to see that before he sent them out, he called them in. Did you see that? It says he called his 12 disciples to him. He called them to himself before sending them out on the front lines. He drew them first into fellowship and family. Isn't that why we were created for fellowship with God, that we might bring glory to God. But I'm just going to say that if if we're never spending time in fellowship with him, we'll never be in a place of bringing glory to him. Listen, the fuel for our service is found in fellowship with our Savior. Time spent in prayer, in his word, Seeking after him, spending time with him. Jesus, in another place, he said it like this, didn't he? He said, abide in me. And he said, if you don't abide in me, remember what he said? He said, apart from me, you can do some things, a few things, most everything, unless it's a really difficult thing. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He said, apart from me, you can do. Thank you. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing of any eternal consequence. He wasn't saying you can't drive a car if you don't have Christ. He's saying anything of eternal consequence. It's going to yield eternal uh, uh, rewards or uh, have an eternal impact, right? And so we need to be spending time with him. Now, Jesus had tons of disciples. You realize that, don't you? I mean, you read through the, the Gospels and... There were always, it seemed like, just masses and multitudes, thousands and thousands and thousands of people always pressing in on him. Now, we know that a a large majority of, of that overall multitude maybe had mixed reasons for why they were there. They sought after him or wanted to be around him or enjoyed the things that came from him or. But then let's say that there were several hundred out of the several thousand that had a genuine heart for him. They really did want to know him and follow after him, not because of what he could do for them, but just because of who he was to them. And and they wanted to know him and be like him. And then out of those hundreds, Jesus called these 12, right? He called these 12 to a special place of service. We, We call it, well, the Bible calls it apostleship. Now, we might be tempted as we kind of read through that and we think about that, that, we, you know, we might think, man, these guys, they must have been by the time Jesus, he spent all night and we read in another gospel that he spent all night in prayer before he called these guys to himself. So he has all these guys to choose from. He spends time praying over them. And then the next day he he calls them. Right. Just twelve. And, you know, if you're like me, initially, you might be tempted to think, man, these guys must have been like the best of the best. I mean, like some kind of heel team six or something. You know what I'm talking about? The heel, concealed heel. Okay, some of you, not, it's just not funny, I guess. But I thought it was going to be a good one. But, uh, you know, some kind of 
elite ministry team. But the truth of the matter is that it, it wasn't that way at all. As a matter of fact, one of them will wind up betraying Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. Don't be deceived. Here's my point. There are no elite super servants among the people of God. Just ordinary people. Amen. Just dysfunctional misfits. Yes. Uh, from all walks of life and ethnicity, educational backgrounds who've been called by Christ that we might witness for Christ. And we might share his love, his grace, his word, the news of his death and resurrection. And that the sin, your sin can be forgiven for the sins of the world, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. That if we'll just believe upon him, we'll never perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what else do we see here? Well, we, we mentioned the fuel for service coming from fellowship with our Savior. Jesus, notice, is the one who gave them power to do His will and His work. We read that when He called His disciples to Himself in verse 1, the next line is, He gave them power to do everything that He was calling them to do. Listen, before this moment, we don't read of any of His disciples doing any of the things listed here. Casting out demons, healing the sick, nothing. But after this, you begin to see it. Well, what's my point? Well, you've heard it before. Whom Jesus calls, he equips. Whom he enlists, he enables. Jesus wasn't looking. He wasn't out there looking for men of high caliber capability. You know, it wasn't like Jesus had this interview process where he had the people in front of him and he was all, okay, uh, anyone here ever uh, uh, heal someone who was sick? You, okay, you with me over here. Anyone ever uh, be, you raise the dead back there? Okay, great. You come up here. You're with me. No, there was none of that. He was after he called them that he equipped them to do the task to which they were called. Because let's look at this list. Now, we see that there's 12 apostles. Now, the number 12 kind of begins to ding, 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 ding. It's kind of setting something off in our mind, right? Scripturally. Yes? Okay. Two of you? Okay. Well, the rest, here's why it should be ringing a bell. Uh, because we know, you know, for instance, there are 12 patriarchs, right? 12 tribes. Uh, here we're seeing 12 apostles. The Bible teaches that these 12 with the exception of Jesus, uh, have an important role in the place of God's redemption or the plan of God's redemption. He will use them or would use them. I guess we can speak in past tense now, but he would use them to lay the very foundation of the church. Uh, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. They will be instrumental in some capacity of future judgment. Write it down, look it up. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. Uh, the book of Revelation teaches that in the new Jerusalem, man, there will be uh, 12 foundations of precious stone and, and inscribed uh, on each of these layers will be one of the names of the 12 apostles, their work being memorialized, if you will, remembered eternally. 
But again, if you're like me, we're blessed, blown away and encouraged by the men whom Jesus chose because he didn't pick the influential. He didn't pick the powerful, those with doctorates of divinity or master's degrees in theology. No, just common people from all walks of life that had Jesus Christ as their common bond. Do you realize when you study the scripture, you you get this. This sense in which these guys, many of them, wouldn't have even hung around each other if it weren't for the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. And that's, that holds true today, doesn't it? That's the way it is in many, uh, you know, uh, well, I'd say bodies, but we're all one body. But let's just say individual uh, church assemblies. I mean, many of us, I mean, I could throw myself in the mix. I know many of you. But if it weren't for Jesus, many of us wouldn't have even known each other, much less befriend and do life together. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, look at this list. You have fishermen, then you have some radical political activists, then you have Roman collaborators who were always ripping people off. You have a couple of guys who had trouble with their temper. You have others who initially were very skeptical. I mean, you have Simon the Zealot here and Matthew the tax collector. You know, these guys were like they they were like trying to mix oil and water. I mean, you have the zealot. This is the guy who they 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 hate everything about Rome. They consider them the enemy. They would just as soon die as obey them. They would sacrifice their family. It didn't matter. They were not going to submit to the the Roman rule willfully or, you know, uh, willingly. And then you have Matthew, who, for all intents and purposes, accurately would be considered a, a traitor. He was actually working for Rome. He's working for the enemy. I'm telling you, had these guys met under different circumstances, the odds of Simon murdering Matthew are very high. But, you know, this is now here they are. Jesus did a work in their lives and not being, you know, there's no separation, but God has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. He's brought them together. They're serving the Lord together. And so. Jesus, here's the point, family. Jesus isn't calling the qualified, is he? He's qualifying the called. And that's a big difference. Do me a favor. Leave the Gospel of Matthew quickly. Turn to the right in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, it's a common passage of scripture, but I want to look at it together. I just want you to see it with your eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Either taking your... I love the sound of rustling Bibles, man. I love that sound anymore. You, it's, it's like you hear the click of the cell phone over to the next place. You know, and I'm guilty of the same thing. You know, it's whatever. But uh, as long as you got God's word in front of you. Are you there? If you're there, raise your hand. Show me your Bible. First Corinthians chapter one. Let's draw our attention to this this common passage here, uh, beginning in verse twenty six, where Paul writes and says, for you see your calling, brethren, That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring To nothing the things that are. Why? Why would he do this? Verse 29, underline it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Hallelujah. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Family, this is the pattern of God to use people whom the world would never select, because if he were choosing the powerful, the influential, the accomplished, the admired, we would begin to place all of the attention, give all of the accolade to that individual. You know, we would be at the place where we're just going, wow, would you look at that guy? I mean, he is so accomplished. He's, got, he's done so much. He's so holy. He's so righteous. He's so intellectual that even God uses him. To which we say, puke, right? I mean, give me a break. But that's, some, that's the persona that some would want to put off. I'm so holy that even God uses me. And maybe one day you can be like me. We go, right? Just, just give me a break, you know. Uh, God doesn't generally choose the who's who. Sometimes we, if we were God, we, we would be more like that. That's why we wonder, man, I wonder why some, you know, the celebrities get saved, why they don't, you know. Well, God doesn't generally, I'm not saying categorically, but generally he doesn't choose the who's who, but he usually goes to the camp of the who's he, right? I mean, that's, that's what he does. So that he alone gets the glory that's due his name. That was the same even with Paul. Look, just continue on. You haven't turned back to Matthew. Look at chapter two. Let's read the first five verses there. He says, and I, he's like, even me, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He's like, I wasn't trying to be, you know, wax eloquently or speak articulately or, you know, none of this stuff. He said, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? Why, Paul? Verse five, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's like, man, look, even when I came, it wasn't like I was some great orator or something. He's like, man, I was nervous when I was talking to you guys, man. I was I was a a stuttering. I was kind of a little bit, you know, intimidated or maybe introverted, whatever the case may be. But he's pointing out the fact that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We have any ordinary people here. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so when you sense God tugging on your heart to do something, you know, he's shown you the need. Remember, we went back. He's shown you the need. You're, you're kind of praying over that need. And he begins to, to pull on your heartstrings toward that need. Don't think, well, man, I'm not, I'm not good. There's no way I'm not good enough to do something like that. No, hey, listen, not being qualified is what qualifies you. God wants to use your life to draw attention to Jesus And to bring glory to his name. Now. Moving on back to chapter 10. So that you know when we look at this list. It's arranged in in six groups of two. Or three groups of four. Okay. And Jesus we when you study you see that he would send them out often in, in pairs. 
And it made for accountability. It made for encouragement. There were always at least two witnesses. Just good, solid wisdom. But also, every time you see the apostles listed, you should know that Peter is always mentioned first. Judas is always uh, the one who would betray Jesus, is always mentioned last. Also, every fifth name is always the same. So Peter is always first. Philip is always fifth. And James, the son of Alphaeus, is always ninth. And so what that suggests to us is that Jesus had these men in three groups of four when he wasn't sending them out in groups of two. And then each group of four had a respective leader within that group of leaders. Is that you following me? So like they would be broken down in these uh, three groups of four and each of them would have kind of a leader and he would uh, he set them up kind of in that way. Now, in verse five, we read these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so again, what are we seeing? I mean, just follow the flow. We're seeing Jesus multiplying his ministry. After learning from Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, now they're sent forth or sent out by Jesus. So we note the progression. They were called, they were equipped, they were sent. That's the way it went. Okay? They were called, equipped, and sent. Now, he establishes some parameters, some priorities for them. He says, in essence, to the Jew first. God was offering his kingdom to the nation of Israel. And the hope of the nations was to spring forth from Israel into the rest of the world. But now, in hindsight, we know Israel rejected Jesus rather than accept Jesus. But they had a decision to make, didn't they? And so Jesus sent the twelve to the Jew first. He wanted them to begin Right where they were. Today, we might apply this by saying, hey, why don't we worry about crossing the street before we worry about crossing the sea? Okay. Many times we we want to go on mission trips and I encourage that. That's great. You know, anytime you have the opportunity to go out and spread and share the gospel in that capacity, take advantage of it. Absolutely. But my question is, do you know what's going on with your neighbor? You see what I'm saying? So many times we have this sense where we'll be really bold if we're somewhere else, but we're really intimidated right in our own backyard. And so Jesus is saying, why don't we start where we're at and kind of move out from there? Plus, the Jews had been prepared by the prophets, by the covenants, by the promises. And so though God's ultimate intent was to reach the world, right? We talked about that for God so loved the world. And so his goal would be to get the gospel to the world. But you have to start somewhere. And God began with the nation of Israel. And uh, the time would come when he would say, go into all the world, right? Preach the gospel to every creature. But for now, he restricts their area of ministry to this demograph specifically. And we note this phrase. He says, go to the lost Sheep of the house of Israel. We think, well, who were these lost sheep that he was speaking of? You know, for all intents and purposes, Israel had shepherds, didn't they? They had the scribes, they had the Pharisees, they had the priests, they had the Levites. But guys, when you when you kind of peruse through your Bible, when you study the scripture, you discover that God perceives 
bad leadership as in essence having no leadership at all. And I think that's very important and applicable even in our churches today. Pray for your leaders, man. You've got some good leaders here. Pray for them, uphold them, encourage them. But Israel had been abused, neglected, led astray by their spiritual leaders. And just as God had said in the book of Jeremiah, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds had led them astray. And so now Jesus is sending men out to them, seeking to lead them back to the true shepherd and overseer of their soul. So verse seven, he says, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, as you study Matthew's gospel, you discover that up to this point, Jesus had been preaching the ki- that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He had been healing the sick. He had been cleansing lepers. Uh, he had been uh, casting out demons and raising the dead. And so now he's sending out delegates or ambassadors, apostles, those who represent him, to repeat the things that they had heard from him and seen in him. Okay, so he modeled ministry for them and then they were to repeat the things that they had seen and heard in him or from him. And now we should also point out along the way that this is not our commission. Okay, they were to limit their interaction to Israel at this point. We've been commissioned to go into all the world. They were to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand because Messiah was right there on the scene. I mean, Jesus was right there. Uh, You and me, we're to share the good news of salvation by grace through faith, the forgiveness of sin, the newness of life through faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work upon the cross, his death, his resurrection. They were preaching at a crossroad of where they were historically and prophetically, and we are as well. As Christ's representatives, we all have a very powerful message to preach. It's called the gospel, right? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And so, listen, believer, you have been armed with a very powerful message, a message that will translate people from darkness into light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins, the inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. You and me, we are to proclaim it and we're to give people the opportunity to accept or reject it. Now, These miracles, these miraculous things that he called them to do. I have a question. Does God still like, does God still move that way today? Of course he does. Yeah, of course he does. However, I would just encourage you uh, to not maybe sway toward naivety, okay? So that you believe every unsubstantiated report of something you hear. If it can't be verified, if your source is ambiguous... I'd be careful about chasing miracles. You know, there's plenty of that going on. It's not the gifts we're after, is it? It's the giver, right? We're to seek the Lord our God with all our heart. But Jesus says here, freely you've received, freely give. Uh, The gospel, the good work of Jesus Christ toward a person's life is without charge. So whatever gifts, you know, whatever abilities, whatever talents that you possess... 
you've received them freely as a result of God's grace. Therefore, you and I were to use them liberally to help uh, those around us. In verse 9, he says, Now provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey. Don't take two tunics, just the clothes on your back. You see, don't, no extra sandals or staves. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now, he's teaching them really a principle. It will see as uh, you probably heard around here a lot, or, or I say it a lot. I'm sure Pastor Thomas said it as well. And that is that where God guides, God provides, right? Um, when we're a part of a ministry, listen, when we're being blessed by that ministry, we should be responding to the unction that God places upon our heart to stand with and support that ministry. Listen, it's just how God works. Because if all I'm about, if I'm all about coming into a place for what I glean, what I can grab, then I get out. I, there, I've already got like a, a bit of a fundamental flaw in the position of my heart. It's all about me, what I can get, what I can not what not. What can I contribute, but what can I consume? Not how can I, you know, uh, be a blessing, but how can I be blessed? So we, we've got a fundamental flaw there. If I'm being blessed, I should find it in my heart to bless. That's how God now. And so that's why Jesus says, hey, don't go pack your bags. Don't go withdraw from your savings account. You know, God's going to put it in the heart of his people to come alongside you to bless, be hospitable to you. He's just teaching them to trust at this point. It won't be this way for them always. But at this point, he's teaching them to trust in the providential care of God. Now, in a similar way, God teaches us to trust him as well. You can write it down, look it up later, review it. Uh, go back and review it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. And Jesus there shares how valuable you are to God. And how that if you will just trust him, he will take care of you. And he'll make sure you're fed. He'll make sure you're clothed. He'll make sure your basic needs are being met. Your concern, my concern, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let God concern himself with meeting my needs. Okay. now, if you want to prioritize something else, you want to prioritize someone else as more important, then you're free to do that. But that providential promise is to the one who is. Seeking or who makes seeking the heart of God, the ways of God, the word of God, his or her priority. That's the context of that providential promise. And so basically the disciples are just learning lessons in faith here. Right. Now, uh, in, in another place, as I said, another place, Jesus did tell them, take provisions, take a money bag, you know, whatever. God will move at different ways in different times in our lives. But this is where they were at. It's what they were to be doing at this point. I guess the greater question is, where are you at? Where am I at? What are we to be doing? Right. What has God called us to do? And are we being faithful to do that? But he goes on here to underscore this principle by saying, for the worker is worthy of his wage. Uh, he was saying, look, you're going to be ministering to them, helping them out spiritually. You're maybe going to help them out on the farm while you're there physically. It's appropriate. They tend to your needs practically. Now, finally, look, verse 11 and whatever city, he says, or town that you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Wow. Um, He says here, inquire who in that town is worthy. He did not want to stain the integrity of the ministry. You know, you shack up with someone who's a shady or something like that. It can damage the integrity of the ministry. Uh, Those who were worthy, those who would show that hospitality, he says, well, they're qualified simply by verse 14, by receiving them, receiving their message, not intellectually, but in truth from the heart, you see. Now, to those who receive the men of God and the message of God, uh, it would bless them. It would be a blessing to their home. But to those who rejected the men and the message of God, Jesus is saying, look, it would be tantamount to rejecting God himself, Jesus himself, and to reject Jesus is to be left only to judgment. There is no other way, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through me. There is no other way. So if we won't receive God's salvation, all that's left is God's what? Condemnation, right? So he says, look, if they reject you, it's like they're rejecting me. And this is why it's so important that we receive Not only the men, but the message of God. Now, Jesus didn't want them to look for opportunity to advance themselves. That wasn't what it was all about. It wasn't like, you know, someone offered to house them. They're like, cool, man. Thanks, brother, for that. I appreciate that. And it's a person of of maybe meager means, but they came to them and and so they went with them. But then maybe a few days into it, someone comes and is like, hey, you know, you're more than welcome to stay with us. We have a pool in the backyard. We've got a car you can borrow, you know, and all that stuff. Hey, well, thanks for your help, but I'm going to go. No, he says, don't do that. Don't be opportunistic in that way of looking to promote yourself or make something better for yourself. He's like, look, whomever you decide to stay with, just stay with them. Just trust that that's where the Lord is led and be content with such things as you have. But if a place doesn't receive you or the words you bring, Jesus says, shake, you know, it's one of these, right? He says, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that city. The idea is don't even let the dust of that defilement cling to you. You're to be altogether separate from that. Uh, You're to be sanctified, not a part of that. But why does he say that it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city? Well, you know the principle, don't you, family? For to whom much is given, much more is required, right? Sodom and Gomorrah never saw Jesus Christ. Sodom and Gomorrah never had the Son of God walking around in their midst, ministering to them, sharing with them. Now, they rejected God's warning and they were judged for that, but they didn't have near this kind of revelation right in front of them. And here's the point. Here's the kind of the closing, I guess, thing, principle. The greater the rejected revelation, the greater the gravity of condemnation. Okay, the greater the rejected revelation, the greater the gravity of condemnation. Now, I say that because of this. We, you and me. Have received the fullness of God's revelation given to us through his word. 
He's given us every opportunity. And so I would say, I would encourage you, receive the word of God, respond appropriately to the word of God, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll bless you, blow your mind, and you'll never be the same. Amen? All right, well, let's bow our hearts and let's pray. Lord, you have encouraged us yet once again today. And God, we're just encouraged with the reminder, the refresher that you're not looking to call the qualified, but you are the one who qualifies the called. And so, God, I just pray for each heart that's here, that as you're you're dealing with us or maybe speaking to us, that we would respond to that call today. Whatever need you're revealing that we would say, here am I, Lord, send me. And teach us, Lord, to trust you more. And Father, I just pray that if there's any, anyone here today that maybe doesn't know you, but now that they've heard your word, they've heard the gospel, and today is the day of salvation, Lord, that they would not harden their heart, but they would open their heart and believe upon you. And uh, so I just real quick, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, um, I, you know, I just want to, listen, if you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you to surrender to him today. Just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved you, who has given himself for you. Turn from your sin and trust in him. If that's you, if God is speaking to you, if he's dealing with you, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here or anything like that. But if I could pray for you, if you need the Lord to come into your life, I would consider that a privilege. If that's you, would you at least do me the honor of just raising your hand if, if you need Christ to come into your life and, and forgive you of your sins. Is there anyone here that has that need today? Okay, great. Well, then I'm just going to trust that we're all family here today and that the Lord has, has given us a word of exhortation to see needs, to meet needs, to rise up and be the one who will stand in the gap that he might do a great and glorious work on our behalf for the glory of his name. So, Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Bless again, I pray, this church, Lord, the leadership here, Pastor Tom and his family. I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would pour your spirit out upon them abundantly and that they would just uh, be set fresh on fire for you, Lord. Just renew that first love. God, it's something we could all always just be renewed in. Give us a fresh zeal for your word. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we-